got to do the, the, the relay transformation. All right, let's open up our Bibles. First uh, Samuel chapter 28. First Samuel chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pick one up on the resource table because uh, we will be unpacking the whole chapter, so it's going to be uh, really good for you to have so you can follow along with us. First uh, Samuel chapter 28. And this one's a doozy. Let's open in prayer and ask for God's blessing on our time. Uh, Father, we come before you today. Uh, we thank you that all of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and lifting up and rebuking and reproving and everything. It's, it's just profitable. So God, what we're doing right now is not a waste of our time. It's not something that is outdated for um, a previous era. So God, we pray. We pray for you uh, to just meet with us this morning, that you would speak through your word to us, that we would be attentive to hear what you have to say, and ultimately we pray that it would be transformative. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're at 1 Samuel chapter 28. We will read the passage as we look at it. But here's my question for you. Uh, When were you the most afraid you have ever been? What are the scariest moments in your life? As I asked myself that question this week and went down a trip down memory lane, two particular moments really stood out for me. One was in the context of of my former job. Uh, I had to climb up a really high platform metal ladder. It was kind of shaky to the top. It wasn't as difficult going up as much as going back down. So I got up there, and then once I got up there and I looked how far I had climbed, it was uh, was an eye-opener to me, so much so that as I looked down at the concrete and how far and the likely death I would experience falling, I was almost paralyzed. Like, it took every ounce of courage for me to lay on my belly and put my feet over the edge and try to find footing on the steps and then to come down. I I was terrified in that moment. A second moment, though, that probably was a lot more frightening was on spring break when I was in college, I went overseas on a missions trip. And we were passing out Bibles on a college campus. And everything was going normal. I was by myself. And as I'm I'm probably a couple hundred yards from the guard shack that I had to enter the college campus, all of a sudden I hear somebody yelling And they're not just yelling, they're running in my direction. And oh, by the way, he's got a machine gun. So I can tell he's coming for me. So instantly, hands up. That's the universal sign, please don't shoot me. So hands up. And the only thing I knew in the language of the country we were in was how to say, I don't speak that language in that language, if that makes sense. I just kept saying that over and over and over. So a guy grabs me by the wrist. He takes me down to this building. I go in. They sit me in a room, and a guy comes in in a suit and sunglasses, and he's there to interrogate me. Uh, I was terrified. I mean, I had visions. I'm going to prison in this foreign country for the rest of my life, uh, and it, it, was, it was horrifying because that's what those kind of moments are, right? They rattle us to our core, the impending possibility of our demise. It strikes fear in us. And I think we could all share in various capacities having those moments that we were so afraid. But I would argue none of our examples are going to compare very much to what Saul experiences. And I'm not talking about Saul talking to somebody who had been dead. That's not the scary part. 
What we see in this chapter is arguably one of the most frightening situations in all of the Bible, and this is it. That he hears a message of total judgment from God where he finds himself without hope and without God. So I'd argue this chapter is a cautionary tale for those who who reject God and his word. If you're going down that wrong path, beware of what is about to happen. Well, if you're taking notes, we're going to ask three questions related to what happens, okay? So that's where we're going to go, these three questions. First question we're going to ask is, what happens when God removes his word? What happens when he removes his word? And what we're going to see, if he's removing his word, that implies that there was a time where his word was where? Was present and active and involved in the life of Saul. And we're going to see that tragic change that took place in Saul's life. So what happens when God removes his word? Secondly, we're going to ask the question, what happens when man tries to replace his word? When man tries to replace his word, when the man goes the direction of trying to find substitutes and alternate ways, alternative options, what inevitably transpires by that foolishness? And then lastly, we're going to ask the question, what happens when God's word is rejection? I didn't say that. Notice what I just said. I didn't say what happens when God's word is rejected, because we've already kind of dealt with that in that first point. What happens when God's word is rejection? Because that's what's so horrifying in this passage, is that God, through Samuel, tells him that I am judging you, I have been judging you, I will continue to judge you, and oh, by the way, you and your kid, your, your boys are dying tomorrow. And oh, by the way, I'm your enemy. That should send chills through us to imagine that kind of experience where God is judging us in that capacity. All right, so let's pick up at verse one as we see what happens when God removes his word. Now, last week, if you were here, uh, Pastor Andy preached, and, and we saw David amongst the Philistines, and it, it seemed odd, right? Why would David go to his enemy to live and to dwell amongst them? But you also understand part of the reason is if he goes there, who's not going to get him? Say the name. Saul won't get him, so he's safe from Saul. And we indeed saw God protect David amongst the Philistines being away from Saul, well, in the very beginning of chapter 28, we see a development in that moment, okay? Read with me. It says, in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Well, that's escalating fast. You see what's happening. Two problems. One, the Philistines are going to attack the Israelites, which isn't uncommon. We've seen that happen before. But here's the catch. David, now, you get to fight for us against the Israelites. So we're, we're left at this kind of a cliffhanger, kind of a back in the day, you remember on a TV show where you'd get to the very end and then all of a sudden it would say, to be continued. And you're like, what's, what's going to happen? What's going what's to happen? Is, is David going to, I mean, David so far has not been willing to, to do anything against Saul. And now he's going to fight in battle against Saul. And he's going to fight against the people that God has ordained and anointed him to be king over one day. What is going to happen? So we have a pause right there. And then same time scenario, 
we move to a different location. And that's where we pick up right here with Saul. First thing I want us to see as we consider what happens when God removes his word, there was a time where the word had been given. Read verse 3 with me. It says, Now Samuel had died, and all at Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city, and, and Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and camped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they had camped at Gilboa. So we see this, like, this transition that Samuel had died. Why is that significant? Because when Samuel was around, God was actively speaking through Samuel to who? To Saul. There was this time. Was, these were the good times. I mean, I've seen this pastorally in counseling in a marriage where it's on the brink of divorce or maybe even divorce has already been filed where a spouse will take some time looking at a photo album or watch a movie of past vacations and it can be both inspiring but also very discouraging. Inspiring that there's a chance that maybe somehow, some way God will intervene and we can go back to those good times. That it's not completely over yet, but then other instances, it's a reminder of just how far things had gone. And that's, this one is sad when we start seeing as we're going to, that God's removing his word, that there was a time where God's word was active, even in the life of Saul. God had anointed Saul to this very prestigious, very honorable position to be God's people's first king. And it even says here, there was a time where he seemed to be doing the right thing. Listen to what it says. Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. That was according to the Bible. That was biblical. That was Levitical law. That should not be in the land. And Saul had actually obeyed God's word. 1 Samuel eleven six. 6, it says, In the Spirit of God, he rushed upon Saul when he heard these words. The Lord had worked salvation in Israel is what Saul proclaimed after the victory. So there were good times. These were promising times that Saul would actually hear God's word and obey what God had commanded. Well, do you remember the good times in your own life spiritually? Maybe there was a season in your life where you were much more on fire for the Lord. There was a time where you were, were quicker to share your faith with others, that you were uh, more radical in pursuing holiness, and, and you're starting to see, man, those were the past days. Those are not the current days. Likewise, what have you and what are you doing with God's word? Is your Bible dusty? Is it something that you very rarely visit? Is, is this it, friends? Sunday morning, if Andy and Joe bring the word out, that's the only time that you're engaging and interacting with his word. Because the word has been given, but now, as we see, the word is being taken. Read verses 5 and 6 with me. It says, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So there was a time when he would call God, so to speak. God would answer. And there would be a conversation, interaction. But now as he calls, guess what it's going to? It's going straight to voicemail. He's not getting any response from God. 
And why is that? Because here's the point I want to stress. Don't feel too sorry for, for Saul in this. Saul is not a victim in our passage today by any means. He is reaping what he has sown. He's getting what is owed to him. 1 Samuel 15, 23 because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. All he had to do was what? So simple, isn't it? Obey. Obey, Saul. Be faithful, Saul. That's it. That's all. It wasn't like it was a standard that was so ridiculous and unfair to impose upon Saul. And yet he refused to obey. He refused to be faithful because at the end of the day, everything revolved around Saul. His own desires, his own ambitions. Let's be honest. How often is that you and I? He even goes on. God had warned them. First Samuel chapter 12. He, he said, here's the deal. You're going to bring these kings in. They're going to be takers. They're not going to be good. But if they're faithful, if they obey my word, if you follow in their obedience, it will be well amongst you. But he doesn't. And likewise, God no longer answers him. Listen to what it says he doesn't answer. First of all, he doesn't answer them by dreams. So maybe there was a time, there was a season in Saul's life where God, we don't really see that in the word, but there might have been some times that God had communicated to Saul through dreams. But then the second thing, he's not communicating to them by Urim. Urim and Thummim, it was a way that they would discern God's will amongst God's people. Uh, the priest would have had a breastplate, and one aspect of the breastplate would have been these two stones or sticks. We still don't completely understand exactly how it all worked out, but in some way, they would draw out these stones, and if maybe one color was one color, it would discern whether or not God has said yes or no. That's not happening anymore. Do you, does anybody know why it's not happening anymore? Besides the rejection part, what did Saul do with the priest? He killed them all. He killed them all. One survived, one fled, and guess who had access to him? His enemy, David. 1 Samuel twenty-two seventeen. the king said to the guard who stood by, turn and kill the priests of the Lord. So it's cutting off your nose to spite your face. He does this, and guess what? He no longer has access to this now. And then lastly, he's not speaking by prophets. Why is he not speaking by prophets? Because the main prophet is what? Is Samuel. He's dead. You understand? He's been warned. He's getting what he deserved. He didn't know how good he had it until it's gone. And now reality has set in. He has taken for granted God's word and it is gone. He had been a poor steward of the word and it is gone. Friends, are we in danger of that? Now, will the Bible disappear? No. But we, we might be living in a nation that's heading down a path where having access to the Bible becomes less and less of an option. So what are you doing with it now? Are you being a steward of it? Are you more than just learning it? Are you, you applying it? Are you, are you eating it up? 
I'm always humbled when I see, maybe in China, where you'll see videos of people getting a page of the Bible, and they're in tears like they just won the, the lottery because they so desperately want to hear from God's word. And yet you and I, we get so comfortable in our nation, so comfortable with our life and our busyness and our entertainment and our just filling ourselves up with the world that the word is just something like, ah, uh, I've got nine Bibles. I can pull it up on my smartphone. We think nothing of it. Friends, beware. You continue to reject God's word, God will remove it from you. It will happen. So we see what happens when God removes his word. Secondly, what happens when man tries to replace his word? Because that's what's going to happen. There's a void. Man will try to replace the void. Now, one possible way would be to repent to wait, to plead with God, to restore his word. And then the other possible way is let's find other options. Read verse four with me. I want to help out a little bit with the geography of this. Verse four, it says, the Philistines assembled at camp, came in and camped at Shunem and Saul gathered all Israel and they camped at Gilboa. It's important to understand. So um, imagine we're on the map looking Gilboa is going to be down about here, and then Shunem's going to be up here. So it's, and here's, here's the brilliance of what the Philistines are doing. They're cutting off him from northern tribes. So there's an intentionality what they're doing. The other thing is that area that they're at is a known trade route. So they can control the land, control trade if they take over this land. What we're going to see, though, that's really shocking is the Endor place that we read of in a little bit. It's actually beyond where the Philistines are. So Saul is going to risk himself to go inquire from a medium, a necromancer. But that's what man does. Man will seek an alternative way. Read verse 7 with me. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there's a median at Endor. So Saul disguised himself, and he put on no other garments, and he went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall say to you, name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. You see what Saul is doing. He is substituting God and his word for an alternative word. You ever been in the kitchen, you're cooking, you're making a recipe, and all of a sudden you realize you forgot one of the ingredients. You didn't pick it up at the store. Anybody? What do we try to do usually in that moment, because you really don't have time to stop the, the cooking? Substitute. You'll throw something in, and for the, for the person who's very uh, detail-oriented, 
they might notice the difference. The finicky kid, like it tastes a little different because I had to substitute an ingredient. Deal with it. We also in life, I mean, we, we find ways to, there's always the idea of the DIY, do it yourself, you know, hack. I, I found one that was, I thought was kind of interesting using a Ziploc bag as a holder for a tablet on a long trip. So instead of buying this thing that holds your iPad or even your phone, if your kid's watching a video, Ziploc bag, kind of, I don't even know how they hooked it up. It was pretty fascinating. I thought, pretty good idea. Another one I, I saw, never thought of, if you can't open a jar, get duct tape out, and you duct tape around, and the duct tape adhes, it adheres to it so tightly, you can pull the duct tape. I haven't tried it yet, so if, if it, you get going to bind this week, and you can't, un, then you have to find the duct tape, and if you don't have the duct tape, if I had duct tape, I could do this. See, Saul's desperate. We already said his heart was trebled. He was shaking. I was watching a, 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 a history channel show, and they were hunting Kodiak bears, and this Kodiak bear stood up on all, on two legs. It's like 10 feet tall, and the guy was 15 yards from him with a bow and arrow. And I'm like, I can't even imagine how much fear would be in me. And he didn't even, he missed it. He was so scared. That's Saul right now. He's scared. He sees the Philistine army. He's, he's frightened that this is not going to go well. So notice what he does. He defies his own edict where he had kicked out the necromancers. He had kicked out the mediums. And what we see here is desperate times lead to despicable paths if you don't keep your sin in check. Did you hear that? This desperate times will lead to despicable paths if you do not keep your sin in check. David, we're going to see this later. David is going to be the, the poster child for this. When he commits adultery has Uriah killed, and then marries her as if he did nothing wrong. James 1.15 warns us, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. I think verse 3 was important, though, because what does it say about Samuel? He is what? He's what? He's dead. Not only is he dead, all Israel had mourned. So everybody knew he was dead. This was not like some secret thing. He's dead, all Israel mourned, and he's also buried in a different location than we are. Because it's important, when, when Samuel comes and shows up, it's going to be significant. Samuel, this is not the first time, too, we need to understand this. This is not the first time that a dead person shows up on the scene in the Bible. Can you think of another one? Actually, two of them. And it was with Jesus, transfiguration, who shows up? Moses. Now, Elijah technically went out in glory. So we, we don't have to necessarily say he died because he, he didn't. He was no more. But Moses, he died. And there's Moses before Jesus. And then what did she say? He, he asked what do you see? And he's like, I got this guy with a robe. That's important. Do you remember the robe with Samuel? Samuel's walking away from Saul. Saul grabs his robe, and what happened? The robe ripped. 
And then Samuel looks at him, so has God torn the kingdom from you. He's like, oh, I know that robe. I know that robe. This is really Samuel. Well, have you ever sought help outside of God? Have you ever tried to fix your problems in ways that definitely do not honor the Lord? Because not only does man seek an alternative way. Here's the key, friends. Man will find the wrong way. Because this is the wrong way. And and we're going to camp out on this just for a little bit. This is a wrong way what he's doing. So mediums, necromancers, they practice the occult arts. A few years back, if your translation, it would not have said mediums. Does anybody know what word would have been used? The blank of Endor, the witch, witchcraft. It's, it's, it's all of that kind of big category, the occult arts. And what these necromancers, these mediums would do is they would conjure up the dead spirits of those that had already died to reveal the future. That's why Leviticus 19 says this, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and make for yourselves unclean by them. Isaiah 8, 19 says, don't do this. And instead, why are you not inquiring of the Lord? And Saul knows that this is wrong. Why? First of all, he had forbidden it. Secondly, he dressed up to hide the fact that he was Saul. Third, who does he swear by? This is the shocking part. He swears by Yahweh over what? he is doing. And there it is. So you got this necromancer, this medium. She does it. She sees Samuel. And then verse 12, what does she say? She cries out with a loud voice. Two possible reasons she cries. One, she's not used to this working. She's done this and she's talked some good game. And then all of a sudden, this time, a dead person shows up. That's a definite possibility. Secondly, it's a possibility with that person, she realizes who she's talking to. And it's Saul. As if she was set up by Saul, like this was a sting operation, and now you're going to kill me, Saul. But that's not the case. But we need to understand this. This worked. This is important. Because I think sometimes when we talk about the things of the occult, when we talk about stuff like this, we think it's all just fake. And a lot of it, friends, is total foolishness. It's fake. It's not real. Somebody giving you a psychic uh, reading and they they made very broad things. You're going to meet a man this week. Wow, how did you know that? Because you're either going to probably run into a man or a woman at some point this week. And he's going to have on blue You're like, whoa, like a lot of that stuff, this is fake. But friends, just because some of it fake, understand this, and I really want to stress this to y'all, not all of it's fake. (laughs) Satan has power, do you understand this? Not on par, it's not like God versus Satan, but Satan has power. He is given permission by God to, to have some reign over things and to do stuff. So like, don't think that every time we go in this direction, this stuff is just all a bunch of, of, of foolishness and fake and tricks. No, this, is, this really happened. This woman brought Samuel back from the dead in some way. Now, what we do know is God allowed this to happen and he had a purpose behind it. What we need to understand though, that this is not normative. 
This is not something that you and I should be seeking out and trying to do. Friends, this is dangerous what Saul is engaging in. Why am I beating that drum right now? Because way too many Christians, and I'm safe to assume some of you all here, we dabble, we play around in this world. I know it. I've known Christians use Ouija boards, read tarot cards, go to psychic readings, get into astrology, read your horoscope. And I've heard the explanation and I, I've, I've heard the justification. It's just for fun. I don't really mean it. Then stay far away from it. This is of the devil, this is of the occult. You do not want to go down that path. Saul, if he could, he would say, stay far away. You've got God's word, embrace God's word. Stay far, far, far away from this junk and garbage because it will, it will take you down a path you don't want to take. I know we look at it and it just seems so innocent and so simple and it's not a big deal. Friends, next thing you know, you're calling out for a dead person to come so you can communicate with them. Or are you dabbling outside of God's design? Because that's the warning for us in this. What Saul does is what we should not ever do. Stay far away from it. There's something you can glean from today's lesson, from our time here, is that world, make sure that you put a locked door on it and you never try to unlock it. Don't dabble. So we ask the question, when God removes his word, what happens? We saw that the word was given, now it's taken. What happens when man attempts to replace his word? We see an alternative way, which ultimately ends up being the wrong way. Well, what happens when God's word is rejection? You see, Saul gets what he wants. He wants to hear from God, but then when he hears from God, it's not what he wants to hear. He hears about total rejection. Read verse 15 with me. And Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? One point right there. It's a little point. Life after death is real. Do you understand that? Every single one of us, unless Christ returns in glory, we will die. And guess what? Life will go on. We're not just going to rest in a grave and decay. And, no, there is really eternal life. And this is a great example of it, the fact that Samuel, though dead, is back. And he's saying, why are you disturbing me? Now, you want to be in the direction of where Samuel is when you're being disturbed, though. Because the other kind of disturbing is, would be a, actually a great break from the eternal wrath and judgment. Listen to what he says. Saul is so delusional. I am in great distress. Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel says, why then do you ask me? Since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord had torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and you did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel 
also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Do you understand that? That he needs help. He doesn't get the answer that he had hoped for. Do you understand that? Think about it. I mean, imagine, one of the things, it's always comical when you see people propose in public around people. And my first thought is like, I hope you are pretty confident, bud. Because like, you you know, go big, go home. But if you're going to go big and you go home when the girl says no, it's going to be awkward. Like when I proposed to Abby, I was 99.99999%. I was getting a yes out of it. She had even looked at some rings already. So I'm like, I'm feeling pretty confident she's, she's on board with this. If I was at 80%, I'm not sure if I would have proposed. Because I was like, I really don't know if I can deal with the, the ramifications of a rejection in this moment. And there is, there is Saul. He's so delusional. He's like, God's not listening to me. So, hey, I need some help. Need some advice. Thought this would be a good time to, to bring you up from the dead. Maybe you can give me some advice, some words. And it's funny though, and it's not funny, but listen to, listen to God's initial rejection of Saul and how it actually goes around full circle. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. What's he engaged in right now? Divination. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. I am tearing the kingdom from you to another. You know what's really happening? Romans 1. God gave them over. God has given Saul over. God has judged, is judging, and will judge Saul. And notice the horrifying message. What does he say to him? What does he say? You're going to what? What's he say? What does Samuel mean when he says, you're going to be with me tomorrow? You're dying. Sorry, buddy. You're dying. Your sons are dying. Several Israelites are going to die, and you're going to lose to the Philistines. That's happening right now. So notice he not only experiences total rejection, he feels total despair. Read verses 20 to 25 with me. It says, then Saul fell all at, full, at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat again. I will not eat. But his servants together with the women urged him and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly killed it and she took four flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And then she put it before Saul and his servant and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Notice the despair. Why is he so in despair? What's he about to eat? His last what? His last meal. It's really what Ephesians 2.12 warns. You are separated from Christ. You have no hope. And you're without God 
in the world. So his response, his response is appropriate, is it not? He should be afraid. He should be terrified by that message. But here's the point. What could he have done differently in response? Psalm 88, listen. I, O Lord, I cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Psalm 88, there's never really any closure with God, but he keeps on coming. What does Saul not do? He does not keep on coming. There's no repentance, no pleading with God, no giving up. It's just sad. You know what else this resembles a lot of? Judas. On that night, Judas got to eat. Do you remember that? He, he ate too. And then he left, and it says he went out into the night. And what does Saul end up doing? He goes out into the night having rejected God. Do you have a proper fear of God and death, a proper response? Do you have a, rap- a proper response for others? Does it concern you when you see the Saul's? Because the truth of the matter, you and I have neighbors, we have friends, we have coworkers, we have family members who are in the same boat right now as Saul. They're without hope and without God. What are we doing about it? Are you praying for them? Are you pleading with them? Are you loving on them? Are you sharing Christ and word and deed with them? So you remember my top fear moments. If I would have known that I wasn't going to go tumbling down on the concrete and die for 100%, I would not have been as afraid. I'd have been maybe a little bit tougher in that moment. If I would have known that that machine gun guy wasn't going to turn and shoot me or I wasn't going to end up in a prison in this particular country, I'd have been a whole lot more confident, a little bit more relaxed in the moment as I was shaking going into this room for interrogation. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you never have to fear what Saul experiences here. That's why even somebody was asking me, what's the sermon like? I was like, it's a blast. It's I'm dealing with witches and mediums and necromancers, and it's a great word of judgment, and and Saul is the standard of what happens when you reject God. It's like a Hallmark card, right? But that's just half the story. Where this should unsettle some of you, this is a great word of encouragement for the rest of us. Why? Because you and I will never experience what Saul experiences. Listen to Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were an alien from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, you and I, we get to experience the opposite of fear. That's confidence, that's assurance, because Christ has been forsaken so that you and I will not be forsaken that Jesus experienced the darkness in our place so that we will always and forever be in the light. So it's true. If you're an unbeliever today, this passage should scare you to death. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should find such comfort, such assurance, such hope, because that's never gonna be me. 
We're going to sing a song to close. Listen to lyrics. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I and then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Saul, if he could be here today, he would testify to that reality. You know what I did? I spent all of my life trying to found a foundation on sinking sand. And you know what it led me to? Destruction, wrath, and condemnation. Stand on the rock of Christ today. Would you please close with me in prayer? Father, we come before you right now. We thank you uh, for the comforting message of Christ. That nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. That you will never leave us and never forsake us. We thank you for what you accomplished through the cross, uh, Jesus. And we pray that uh, all of us would be a people that live lives of gratitude and worship because of, of Jesus. We do pray for anybody here today who still is on the path that Saul is on, that you, Lord, would open up their eyes and help them to see their need of Jesus. We pray in his precious and holy and perfect name. Amen. Would you stand with me?